The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Microsoft Teams is helping a bicycle company reinvent the way that they work. We make bicycles for everyday riders. Once the pandemic hit, we started doing virtual visits. All of a sudden, we could open up our showroom to customers around the world. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash Teams. Prospect Podcast. I'm Clay Link here with Rotowire.com's lead prospect writer James Anderson. James, we uh, we have a season in place. I guess we talked a little bit about this last week with Ian Khan and Eddie Almaguer. I, I read a lot of fun on that show. If you missed it, I recommend going and checking that out. Dynasty mock draft we did with them. Seemed like we were all a little hesitant to fully buy in we're a little concerned that maybe we'll we'll get the rug pulled out from under us a little bit with this mlb season but we do have games starting up live contests in the nfbc end of the sprint rotowire online championship starting tonight i'll be doing one of those at some point and you and i are going to be back in the main event sprint main event only 60 games who knows but i'm pretty excited that we're going to end up sharing a team after all yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, definitely a lot of a lot of prep to do in a short amount of time. I don't really know how much uh, my kind of rankings or preferences will have changed since back in March, but a lot to consider and a lot of a lot of viable strategies. I think in a in a short season, we're not going to have obviously enough enough of a season for the cream to truly rise to the top. So, um, you know, a lot can happen and in 60 games and yeah, I mean, I'm really interested to get, 
cracking on our, our strategy prep for that. Yeah, that should be a lot of fun. Uh, who knows when that draft will actually be, but sign-ups are underway, 1,200. And I'm thinking, you know, it's 60 games. It's obviously a different game entirely from a fantasy perspective, but these high-stakes guys, these uh, serious main event players, they're not dropping that kind of money if it's a, a lottery ticket. Like, they're not spending – they're not buying a $1,200 lottery ticket. You know what I mean? So there's still going to be – I still think skill is going to win out for the most part, maybe not in the overall. Maybe somebody will get super lucky with a couple surprise picks, but I still think it's very much a skill game. And you know, Saris has written about how much more legitimate a sixty-game schedule is than the, the proposed forty-eight game. So, yeah, not everybody's going to find their level, but I still think it's going to be a fun contest and a rewarding one, and uh, worth playing for sure. Whether it's well, the main event or the two hundred and fifty online championship. I think it's it's definitely a skill game, one hundred percent. I just think that now, um, you know, there there might be some other strategies that maybe sure. can come into play. Like it's it's definitely it's one hundred percent still a, a skill game, but um, you might not be approaching the draft the same way. And there will be a ton of volatility, and you're right, but it's still a game where you know you'd think if you do your research, you. You settle on a strategy, you could uh, have a leg up if you find a little bit of a loophole, a little bit of a inefficiency. And we were doing the roundtable rankings with Todd Zola, Eric Halterman, Jeff Erickson. And so we each ranked 350, and then those are compiled into a, a composite 300. Just a way to eliminate bias and, and provide the best rankings uh, we, we can, really. And... You know, I pushed down the closers. That was something we've talked about. Do you still feel strongly that you should do that because I, I pushed them all down, but I heard on this uh, podcast with Jeff Erickson and Scott Jensen them saying they, they still want like two in the top nine rounds, but I don't think I'll be doing that. Yeah, no, I mean, that's what's, that's what's so uh, kind of fun about this is there's just, I think there are multiple ways to skin a cat in a 60 game season. And obviously if you, if you draft the right players, a lot of different strategies can work, but for me, I, you know, the main event maybe a little bit different. Maybe, you know, maybe you still need to get a guy uh, at least in the the first ten rounds or so. But in any kind of standalone league, I'm just I'm not taking a reliever in the first like 250 picks. I'm just not, and mm-hmm. I just think that there's just way too much volatility. One bad outing could make that relief pitcher a bad pick for you. Um, there's there's not a long enough season for the best closers to to get the most saves, and we just don't really know how teams are going to use their their bullpens. Um, I think I think it's very possible that uh, a few more teams kind of enter that Tampa Bay Rays way of thinking with with reliever usage in a shortened season. Um, it's just that there's not. There's just not that level of safety with those top closers, in my opinion, that there there would have theoretically been in a longer season. And it's it's partly that, but it's also partly now. I just think those those hitters who are going to play every day, uh, the the top you know eighty to one hundred position players, I think they have just even more value in a shortened season. And I just want to get as many of them as possible. So I can't really justify taking a closer in the fifth, sixth, seventh round when there are still really quality everyday uh, players out there. 
And every day is such a key word there. We've talked about that too. Like just avoiding platoon bats in your lineup, that'll be a way to gain an edge this year and separate yourself in the counting stats. I want I'm with you. I I'm gonna have a high bar to clear, like Schwarber I'll consider uh, you know on the team, but uh, and maybe he's not a strict platoon guy, but the the platoon players are gonna be few and far between on my rosters. I remember Hopefully. the there there was a panel I was on at, at First Pitch Arizona this past year and uh, I forget who I, I feel bad. Um, someone had some had done some research um, about you know the how how related um, total plate appearances are to standings in a in a fantasy league mm-hmm. and like if you can lead your league in plate appearances, I really think you have a, a pretty solid shot at. Uh, finishing very high in the standings and if you're middle of the pack or or bottom half in plate appearances this season i I really think you're going to be in trouble yeah i'm with you there so i also pushed down the first couple tiers of starting pitching too uh todd says he's not going to be doing that but it's it gets back to the volatility aspect and now volatility applies to everyone hitters as well and less so for starters than closers just because Theoretically, they'll be throwing more innings, have more of a sample for the ratios to find their their level. But uh, I still think we're in uncharted territory, and there's risk with all arms. Cole and DeGrom still first-rounders for me, but I push those whole first few tiers down just because uh, we're in uncharted territory with the short ramp-up period. Like, never before have guys, unless they're, like, hurt completely, but been shut down, and they have to ramp up in July for three weeks before the season starts. We're gonna, we know that some teams are going to be limiting their starters to two to four innings uh, first few times through the rotation, utilizing the expanded rosters to their benefit to, to play it safe. So I, I just think, you know, I still want to get a guy in the first three rounds probably, but uh, I'd be happy with, like, Kershaw. I, I just really don't want to force the issue in the first two yeah, I'd have to get a little bit of a windfall for me to take a starter in the first two rounds. What about you? Yeah, I, I, I just don't see myself taking one in the first two rounds. I could see myself taking one in the third round. Certainly, Clevenger, maybe the fourth, maybe the fourth round. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's got to be one of those things, like you said, where it's like, well, I can't really pass this guy up here. Right. Like, I, I have no problem entering the season with like Patrick Corbin as my SP one. I, I don't mind um, it being that caliber of a guy because I kind of want to go quantity over quality if I can. Like I, I definitely want to have enough starting pitchers to where I can play the matchups to some degree with my SP five, my SP six, SP seven. And I want to get some, uh, high quality non closer relievers to be able to start in tight spots because, as we've mentioned on the XM show and and stuff like, you know, a guy like Drew Pomerantz is going to pitch a lot for the Padres this season because of how good he is and he's going to get some wins. He might get uh, a few saves and he's going to help your ratios in theory and and you don't have to use uh, a super high pick on a guy like that. Um, so I mean I, I just think there's there's just too much of a premium to me on those elite everyday position players in a shortened season for me to pass on guys for a pitcher in the the first forty to fifty picks. 
It's awesome. And as you said, like there's going to be varying strategies. I think we're kind of in one camp and Jeff and Scott are kind of in one with the closers, Todd in one with, with the starters. So a lot of different approaches in the drafts to come. It should make for a, a very interesting and fun uh, draft season 2.0. But this is a prospect show, James, and we will talk some prospects. I want to start with the some of the taxi squad news, not really groundbreaking stuff here or surprising, and it will be a case-by-case basis, but we're hearing Jared Kelnick, Julio Rodriguez, Wander Franco, many other top prospects going to be on their team's taxi squads. Again, case-by-case basis, but any of these, you know, 60-man roster uh, blurbs, any of these news items catch your eye, maybe uh, have you thinking about some some prospect players? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't think a lot really has changed. I don't think there were any obvious omissions uh, or surprise inclusions, uh, at least that I that I can think of. I mean, I, I was kind of uh, knee deep in that whole thing uh, these past couple of days, and I I just. You know, I think a lot of the stuff in terms of prospects is kind of where it was uh, four months ago. I mean, we, you and I both thought, um, you know, I mean, I think it'll be interesting to see whether someone like Dylan Carlson uh, is on the initial 30 man or whether they keep him down for seven games to get the extra year control. Uh, I tend to think he'll be on it, but um, yeah, I think, I think a guy like Spencer Howard will be on it. Um, I think, you know, Gavin Lux, I, I still like him as much as I did in draft season. Uh, yeah, I'm just, I don't really know exactly, uh, what, what necessarily happened that really changed anything. I think all the obvious guys were included, uh, you know, the expanded, the 30 man rosters. I think, I think there's some interesting stuff, kind of non-prospect, uh, related and then you know we talked about platoons and stuff like that um the nldh has obviously been discussed a lot uh but just with regards to prospects you know obviously there's some guys that got healthy uh guys like aj puck and dustin may have gotten healthy and, and now they uh are more appealing than they were kind of late in draft season in march but yeah i mean did it did anything catch your eye you know i, I did see i think it was quite christian robinson was Probably going to be on his, but he was—he's in the Bahamas or something. Um, Diamondbacks player, so he's—he wasn't likely to contribute, but thought it was interesting that he uh, was not on that list. And Aristides Aquino on their kind of B roster really speaks to how they see him, and I don't right. expect him to to really play much a role of, of, at all. And I know, you know. For, the Seattle guys, I was in the camp where I thought Kelnick could debut this year, but I think that's probably off the table even with Mitch Hanniger, uh pretty much ruled out on the 45-day, well, I think it is. Well, so with like Kelnick, I think – I still think we, we see him this oh. year. I just, don't, I just don't think we see him enough for it to move the needle in fantasy, especially early on. Like mm-hmm. I think – I think he's kind of a a classic uh, like taxi squad type of guy. Mm-hmm. Where I think I think he'll he'll get some plate appearances, but I you know in a in a sixty game season, if 
if you don't think a prospect's going to be up like the first month or the first two two to three weeks, it's not you know it might not be stashing season. Um, yeah. So I I just don't know uh, I don't know why the Mariners would just start the year with Kellenic playing every day, and I could I could definitely see them mixing him in and letting him get his feet wet here and there, but. Uh, they, they still have big league outfielders they need to evaluate uh, for for the future who are already up and already on the 40 man so mm-hmm. um, yeah I mean I, I don't necessarily think he's not going to play at all but I just don't I don't know how we can have any faith in him playing enough to be uh, really in the mix especially in like 12 and 15 team mix leagues yeah that's it's interesting I has kind of come to the determination he was probably not going to play but that's interesting to hear that you I think we could still see Jared Kelnick in in Seattle this year. I uh, not holding out ho- much hope anymore, and definitely not drafting him in the end game anymore. Uh, we'll see. I I just think like some of these guys, it's going to be a tricky call because yeah, like Carlson, we all thought we kind of thought he was going to make that opening day roster, but if it only takes seven days to gain an extra year control, who knows? Do you think maybe? With the CBA looming, maybe more teams are willing to cut some of these guys loose because they know these these uh, service time and control rules are going to change in the near future. I don't think that would be the motivation because I don't think they know how they're going to change. Yeah. I mean, we've sure. known this has been like an obvious issue in baseball for a decade now and they haven't figured out a way to change it. I, I don't necessarily have faith in especially the, the commissioner's office to figure out any way to, to change it and make it fair. Um, so yeah, I, I think there might be teams who view the season as something where, Hey, we, we actually have a chance to compete. So we're going to turn a couple guys loose. You know, like I think Spencer Howard is, is like the obvious example here where like, why why play any games let's just let's just go with them for the full 60 and put our best players out there and try to win as many games as we can i think that the shortened season might lead to some teams being a bit more willing to to turn guys loose but i don't i don't really think the service time aspect is going to factor in a ton just because i don't think the teams know what's going to change about it yeah that's that's a good call we know that they're you know how greedy they are too so they'll want to keep a year of control on a lot of these guys and uh maybe in a short season they do say look let's let's go for it a few of these teams like the phillies who already have everything invested in, in winning now but uh i just think in you know hopefully these these rules change because watching that griffey documentary a few weeks ago like he debuted opening day in 1989 i think just like, why can't we get that anymore? These young kids debuting opening day, that's, that's such an awesome thing in baseball, and I wish we could have that again where some of these kids, like Vlad last year, Acuna a couple of years before that, Bryant, of course. I just hope we can get back to that eventually. Hopefully, maybe that's a – I think that would be a big bargaining chip you know, for the, the owners to get back to the players. Like, all right, we'll fix this issue, and that's – It'd be a big step in the right direction for the next CBA, which I do expect to be a, a bloodbath. James, Matt Kemp signed to the Rockies. 
Uh, this was after Ian Desmond opted out. I'm just kind of wondering, do you see that affecting the youngsters there, the Sam Hilliards, Garrett Hampson, McMahon, or do you think, all right, this is a classic Rockies move, but Kemp's not actually going to play? Probably more of the latter. I, you know, he he's someone where I actually did take him in a in a draft champions way back four or five months ago. Um, like I think he was my last pick of a fifty round draft and hold because I I thought there might be a chance, you know, with him and Mattingly in Miami. Um, but he he had a really terrible spring. Uh, I just I don't I think he might be washed at this point and. I think people are probably making a bit too big of a deal about that. I, I honestly, I think people are making a bit too big of a deal about the Desmond thing too. Like he was, he was really only going to play against lefties. And so I, I, you know, you can, there's maybe, I don't know, over a 60 game season. What is that? 120 plate appearances or something, hundred plate appearances that you spread around probably to three or four different guys. I don't, I don't see one guy just getting all of them. I think they just kind of get shared amongst uh, Hampson, Hilliard, Tapia, Rogers. I mean, it, I think it's just, it doesn't move the needle a ton for me. I still love Ryan McMahon. I still think Hampson is kind of a wild card. And I still think Hilliard is, is kind of a wild card. Like I, I think they're obviously talented players. Uh, we just still don't really know how much, uh, any of them are going to play other than other than McMahon. I mean, Hampson, Rogers, Hilliard. I, I think there's a case for drafting any of those guys in the back half of your draft, but uh, we still just don't know how much they're going to play. Ryan Tapia, that's going to impact Sam Hilliard more than anything related to Ian Desmond or Matt Kemp. Yeah, I saw Matt Kemp with the Reds last year. Hard to believe that was just last year. That seems so long ago. Uh, he looked completely toast. He, I think he cracked a rib jumping up against the wall, and it was only 20 games, but uh, 493 OPS for Matt Kemp. Maybe there's still something there, but I think it's easy to look at that and say, man, the Rockies are going to rocky here, but I, I'm with you. I don't really see that affecting those guys much. I would still love to get some some Hilliard and some, some McMahon. Hampson, I'm a little eh. – I know he had a great September, but I – I'm souring on him just because I don't know the stolen base category is going to be so bunched up in a, in a short season, and maybe he could help separate you. But I don't think that he's a guy that you, you need to take a chance on in the short season. Yeah, I mean, I, I could see him still kind of being short side, short side platoon. Yeah. Uh, you know, you have one thing that I think is is. I don't think I've seen anyone really talk about this, but I could see Charlie Blackman getting like, I, I think it's in play that Charlie Blackman could lead the Rockies in starts at designated hitter. And because, I mean, he was just so bad in the field uh, last year. I mean, he's been bad. Um, I think for a couple of years now uh, I could see Murphy still playing more than people think at first base and McMahon still starting at second base against righties. So, um, just another thing to consider there just because we are like on our depth charts, we have Daniel Murphy atop the DH depth chart and Ryan McMahon atop the first base depth chart and Garrett Hampson atop the second base chart. But that doesn't necessarily mean we think Hampson's going to play every day. And I I think it's still possible that he, like he could still get the Rocky treatment and Brendan Rogers 
probably makes that 30-man opening day roster. Um, certainly we'll, we'll have a chance to, but uh, still a, a few guys he's got to kind of leap over, I think, to get any any kind of consistent playing time. Circling back to these 60-man roster notes from the site, one that did I didn't notice, Seth Beer got the nod on the Diamondbacks. We talked a bit about Kevin Crone on the XM show, and you know they got Lamb, maybe Crone against lefties. He had a ton of power last year, Crone. Uh, but do you think Seth Beer could be a surprise add at some point? I mean, if we assume the DH is here to stay, I mean, this uh, he could have a home finally on the field. I, I still think he's more of a 2021 guy. They have enough guys. Uh, like, they have just a handful of guys that absolutely raked at AAA last year, and Seth Beer didn't even play at AAA last year. Like, they have Andy Young, Wyatt Matheson, Kevin Crone, all these guys just really kind of did all they could at AAA last year to force the issue. Uh, there's not really any sort of 40-man advantage to for Seth Beer. He's not, he's not on the 40-man yet, so... Um, I still think he's more, but I think he could be their, their long-term DH for sure. I think that's that's definitely in play and probably likely, but uh, just too many guys, I think, ahead of him in the short term for him to, to factor into 2020. Um, one guy, one guy I wanted to mention with regards to the DH. I don't know, I don't know exactly where you stand on Joanna Cespedes, but I I could not be more pessimistic about. Jonas Cespedes really? returning value. Like, him, like, actually, as a late round flyer. But I, I hear you, man. I, <laughs> I, hear I just, I just don't, I don't get it. I don't get the, I don't get the excitement. Like, I think it's quite possible Dominic Smith is already a better hitter than Jonas Cespedes. Uh, you know, he's he's already he's, he's thirty four. He turns thirty five in October. He played thirty eight games in twenty eighteen. Zero games last year. Eighty one games twenty seventeen. Uh, I mean, he had a, he had a 32% strikeout rate in 2018, like the last time we saw him. Um, and he's just, he's missed this much time. Like he still has an injury tag. It's our last note is nearing game readiness. Like I, I just, I cannot, uh, I cannot buy in on, on Cespedes, uh, either staying healthy enough or producing enough to provide value this year. And I would, I would honestly rather have Dominic Smith, um, in any format for 2020. I see. I actually did add him to my top 350 Cespedes. You're right, and I'm not going to, you know, force your hand and demand we take him in our main event that we share. All right, I'll, I'll budge on that. <laughs> but I do think, I was reading an article, and you know we have this rumors section on the site now, and it was months ago, but I was doing a rumor note on Cespedes and Apparently, now I'm obviously reading too much into this, but apparently he was looking really good against their top arms in live BP, and it's just a matter of playing the field for him. It just hasn't been able to do it. Obviously, he had that ranch accident uh, that cost him a lot of money, and it sounds like he's motivated. Now, this is all, you know, this is all story and narrative, but... I just kind of feel like he maybe is looking to revitalize his career. Seems confident that he still can be a top slugger. We haven't seen it on the field, but uh, you take away those defensive issues and that costing him playing time, maybe there's still something there. But I heard Fred Zinke make a good point that since he has been away from baseball nearly two years, 
his skill set has really gotten more common. Like what he can provide is really kind of a dime a dozen now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. Um, right. And I get that, I'm but def- I, I still think there's maybe a little upside as a late flyer bench guy. Well, I'm I'm ready to say I told you so. Um, in in about in about a month, I'll I'll be saying I told you so. <laughs> yeah, I'll um, be on the IL <laughs> a week into the season. One one thing I did forget to mention: uh, we were talking about Ryan McMahon. Uh, he's already eligible at second base and third base, and I think he probably adds first base eligibility within the first, I don't know, 20, 20 days of the season, 15 days of the season. So I think that just is another wrinkle. I mean, anyone that's eligible at first base, second base, third base, that's that's extremely valuable. Nice. Um, still waiting on a Yasiel Puig signing, by the way. But we do have our first trade since the transaction freeze was lifted, Jorge Mateo headed to the Padres from the A's. He's out of options, out of options before he's even debuted in the bigs. And uh, it's not the Tigers like I've been hoping for in recent months, but um, maybe there is a path to playing time in San Diego, even if it's not really a, a fantasy-friendly role. Yeah, I think he... Obviously, like, when you trade for a guy like this he's more likely to play for the team that traded for him than the team that traded him away so uh there's not really any way of spinning it as as bad for mateo but um i'm honestly a little bummed out because i think jake cronenworth might be their best option at second base and now he's even further buried on the depth chart there um I mean, if, if you were just saying Cronenworth or Mateo, who's more likely to have success as a hitter in the big leagues this year? I think there's there's really no way to argue Mateo. Mateo has the higher fantasy ceiling because of the speed, but I just don't think, you know, he's on his third team. He's still never reached the majors. That's never a good sign. Uh, what he did at AAA last year. There, there were some minor improvements with the approach, but still just, you know, repeat trip to triple a didn't really uh, make a ton of noise so i think he's probably just sort of a a bench speed guy for them which will be fun to watch i mean i'm excited that we, we might get to see him make his big league debut um the the commentary on twitter was was kind of funny to me like everyone was basically saying yeah i know he's probably not very good but i'm so excited i, I love mateo i know he probably he's He's probably not going to work out, but I, I love Mateo, um, and that's 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 kind of where well, I'm at. Speed too. factor, just, you know, it's it's hard to uh, to give up the dream when you have that tool. Yep, yep. Um, I would still take a guy like Miles Straw over Mateo, though, in redraft and dynasty. So don't don't get too carried away with with Mateo. I mean, he he has he's another guy though too, where the the stolen base totals and the stolen base success rates in the minors don't really line up with the uh, speed grade you see on the scouting report. Like it, he's not some guy that's just stealing bases at a 80, 80, 85% clip in the minors. I mean, he's, he steals a decent amount of bases, but it's not the true sort of 80 grade speed type of totals you'd expect to see. Nice. And not really a prospect 28 years old, but I wanted to ask you about Austin Voth. Another guy that Twitter seems to really like, who knows you know, push comes to shove, if they'll actually take him in the end game of drafts, but it seems like, you know, some people do like Voth and with Joe Ross opting out kind of want to get your thoughts on whether or not you're interested in Voth in the end game, or if 
you know, as uh, these back end starters, if you'd rather get the Pomeranz types, the uh, maybe Knable, Daniel Hudson. Well, I have I have a decent amount of Voth shares, so I was I was excited to to see that news. Um, just a you know, he's a guy where I don't see a, a crazy high ceiling for him, but I think he could just be a, a really really solid like mid rotation type of guy. Um, and yeah, on that team, you could you could get some wins out of him. Tough Not a with guy the divisional I, scheduling though against the AL East. That, that yeah. scares me. I mean, twenty games against that division. And and I'm I was gonna I was basically gonna say like I think the time to draft Voth was probably in March, mm-hmm. and now the cost I think will probably get to a point where I'm I'm not super interested. I, I viewed him as like a end game type of flyer, and so yes, I, I would take Pomerantz over him. I would take Knable over him. I would take Hudson over him. So that probably means I'm I'm done getting Austin Voth shares. Yeah, I just I think generally with those types, I'm going to be fading them. I, I got some Anibal Sanchez, some Yusei Kikuchi from my bench uh, previously back in March and February, but I think now I do want to get those higher leverage relievers. I'll wait and see when these guys are built up enough to go five innings. Maybe some of them, if they're following an opener, then I'll get in. Uh, and maybe you know, a couple weeks into the season, the pickings are slim on the, the streaming side. But I think I can find some streamers in some of those interchangeable back end starters and I'll have a you know in theory a decent ratio base built up so I can stream capably but I think early on I don't really want many back end starters cuz I just don't expect many of them to go 5 um yeah so that, sure that, that'll be really interesting to see like what kind of information we get yeah. before the start of the season on that like how stretched out certain guys are because everyone's kind of reporting the camp in different shape in terms of how how ready to go they are and so uh it'll be interesting to see if like come say like july 20th how much information do we have on all these pitchers in terms of how long we can expect them to go in in week one exactly that'll be key hopefully we get some of that i just i feel like yeah i uh if they're not going deep or not following an opener, maybe some of those A's guys will follow some openers, maybe some Rays. But generally, I don't I don't really want them until I can tell. I'm positive that they can factor into a decision. Uh, so I will be yeah, not really getting the streamers from my bench. Uh, James, you mentioned, you kind of alluded to this earlier, but there's been a lot of requests, not surprisingly, for your anticipating call-up dates article, which is always a key every single year. And I know we just don't know, right? But can you tell us anything? Like, uh, has, Have you heard anything else about the seven-day rule? Do you expect that to be in place? Uh, yeah. I, you know, I, I'm going to work on that um, the rest of the week. And I think that, art, that 2.0 version of that article, anticipating call-up dates, should be up early next week. Uh, would like to see some more announcements from these teams in terms of just everyone that's included because some teams released all 60 names, some teams released like 45 names. So still a decent chance that some prospects will be added who have not been added yet. So I'm hoping to get that information before I release it. But um, 
there's just there's not a ton of guys that I could see that that seven day rule affecting. I think Carlson is probably the biggest one, uh, especially since Luis Robert signed his extension. I like I think Joe Adele, depending on how well he plays in this summer camp, I could see him just opening on their thirty man, uh, just based on. You know, I think that might be the best route for his development, even if he's not playing every day. Uh, and talk about a team that's in win now mode. I mean, the Angels are in as much of a win now mode as you can be in. Um, so I, I think that there are certain cases where guys could start straight out of straight out of the gates. Um, but there just aren't a ton of guys that I can think of where there's really that that question of are they going to play the service time games or not because. Um, you know, Dylan Carlson really kind of the big one to me. Um, and I, I'm not going to rank him lower. Uh, I st- I'm still going to rank him like where he would be ranked. Um, but yeah, that, that article should come out uh, early next week. Very nice, man. I'll tell you one guy who I'm kind of interested in, just doing some uh, some sweeps of our batting orders. You know, we added the DH to the default NL orders. And... I was doing NL and AL, and the Mariners' Evan White, MLB.com, had projected to hit second. And you think about it, it does make some sense. Now, not a ton of power. The Bat X only projecting him for 17 homers, Evan White, over a full season, 130 games. And, you know, maybe some some other options at first you can grab for cheap that are going to be even better compiler types. But I do feel like maybe Evan White in the end game as a bench guy to just see what happens advantageous lineup spot could be a decent pick. What do you think about Evan white this year as a youngster coming up? I think he's got a a very bright future. Uh, Just, you never know how a guy's going to do in his first 60 games against big league pitching. I think to say he doesn't have a ton of power is, is me. And and I don't, I know you weren't like saying he doesn't have any power. I know that you're kind of referencing the bad acts, but uh, from June on last year, he slugged 548 with 17 home runs in 66 games. So, I mean, he's he's got pop. I don't know if he's going to get to that pop right away, but uh, he could he could develop plus power. I mean, that's that's a skill that he's been tapping into, and he's played in some pitcher friendly parks as well along the way. So that's that's been a part of the reason why the, the home run numbers maybe don't jump off the page, but. Hard contact last year was good for for a player his age. Uh, like the batted ball profile, uh, ground ball rate below forty three percent. So, um, yeah, I think I think he could develop into a power hitter. But it's just yeah, to me, he's just a total flyer late in drafts. You just don't really know how a guy like that's going to handle big league pitching his first time through the league. Right, so, Votto over Evan White. You with me on that? Uh, what's, 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 what's behind Dorsey? Yeah, I guess there's always a Dorsey, but I, I'm starting to talk myself into Joey in a short season. Just go, man, he could get hot. He could still have those hot. (laughs) (laughs) I would take, uh, I would take Jesus Aguilar over both those guys. Really? I don't, I don't see it as much with Aguilar. I mean, maybe it's recency bias, but he was pretty terrible last year. Yeah, Vado was awesome last year. Yeah, Vado was great. No, I, I <laughs> yeah. 
That's fair. Uh, Marlins Park, they moved in the fences a little bit too, didn't they? Uh, slightly, I think. At least in well, right field, I, just, I think it was. I feel better about Aguilar. Um, like, I think he's going to play basically every day for at least the first, I don't know, 20 games of the season. Like, if, if he stinks, then he, he won't play every day all season long. But uh, with the DH there, I just, I think I'm feeling comp- confident about his playing time. And I feel more confident about getting those homers from him at first base than I do with Vada. I think he's what, like an ARB guy? Is there any chance the Marlins trade him? Or do you think there are maybe some trades that you have to consider? Maybe Ken Giles? Like, is there any obvious trade guys that come to mind that you need to have at the forefront of your mind when drafting? Uh, I just don't. I don't think we typically see guys like Aguilar get traded because there just isn't usually. I mean, we saw we saw him get traded from the Brewers last year. Um, Post DFA trades, yeah, like just there's not a demand for guys like that. Whereas Ken Giles, I think for sure that's that's definitely a good name. Um, you're going to see a lot of the teams that that are kind of willing to throw in the towel are going to unload their pitchers to teams that are trying to compete. So um, I think Ken Giles makes a lot of sense, but it's just the the demand, especially with these expanded rasters, like when, I, when I'm looking at like a, a lot of these teams' depth charts, they just have so many kind of quad A type of hitters already in tow that I just, I don't see, I don't, I don't see a ton of those uh, no defense corner hitter types getting traded. Yeah, I hear you. I'm trying to look at some other free agents. It seems like most of them are on what should be competitive teams. So, uh, I mean, if the Reds fall out of it, maybe they trade Bauer. Um, yeah, Giles. Yates, Kirby Yates, too. Um, I thought he was under club control for a while. Maybe he signed a deal, but I'm looking at an article on MLB.com from uh, February previewing Upcoming free agents, bets, of course, but he's not going anywhere. Real Muto, is he? He's a free agent after this year? I Obviously thought he, the signed, him, he signed an extension. Oh, okay, thought. Yeah, Simeon oh. Bauer. Let me, I'm going to look up uh, Yates really quick. But you can keep talking. Maybe Stroman. Uh, but I expect most of these guys to stay put. Uh, you do have to be aware of Giles. You just don't know what the deadline pushed back to August 31st if there's going to be enough time for any of the, the replacements to really – you know, be relevant. Play, oh yeah, Yates, Yates is a Yates is a free agent after after this season. So. Maybe um, more reason to chase Pomeranz or Emilio Pagan. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can't. Emilio Pagan's going like you, you going can't really. Hey, he's getting drafted uh, very high for a setup man, and I think that that's there's some logic to that. I think that he could, even if they didn't trade Yates, I think. Uh, I think he could end up with seven or eight saves. Alex Colomay, I believe, also a free agent after this year. So I know a lot of people like Bummer there. I, I don't know. A lefty who you know, isn't like a flamethrower. Decent player, but I don't know if he's going to be the next in line for sure. In fact, I'd kind of bet against him being the next closer. That's, that, that's why neither you or I drafted him in our in our uh, closers and waiting draft. Is Yeah. Obviously, you'd love to bet against Alex Colomay with someone, but I think claiming that you know who that someone's going to be behind Colomay, I, I just don't think there's any reason to feel confident about that at all. 
Yeah, that's a good reminder that we do have closers in waiting ranks. What started that was a draft between James and I going back and forth on the XM show, just drafting top closers in waiting for 2020. And so we just took those. I tweaked them, uh, lowered some of my bad picks, bumped up some of your better picks. Uh, but we do have those closers in waiting ranks now on the Closer Grid page, rotowire.com. You've done a ton of great work during the shutdown, James. Uh, mad props to you guys, to you and to everybody else, uh, Todd and Jason and everyone for keeping their head up and providing great content throughout the quarantine. James, hip-hop draft before we sign off. Only, what, three picks each left? Yep, yep. So we're almost um, there, right? Ugh, this is like the end game where I kind of need like a Hail Mary to uh, to win. I think no. in the public eye, but I'm not gonna. Well, I'm not gonna do anything crazy. Um, so you mentioned to me before we started recording that you had something up your sleeve, but I have the first pick, and I think I know what you were gonna do. Yeah, um, I can see you're I, uh, you're on the Google sheet over the spot that I was thinking. Of. Yeah, I, and so. To, to just be for full transparency, the only three spots I have to fill are my 2010s guy, a spot that you've already filled, so I don't have to worry about you taking my guy there, and then my two producer spots. Uh, and I'm going to take DJ Premier because both of your producers, Riza probably more so than Dr. Dre, you could theoretically move into a different spot. And I just can't. I can't risk not getting DJ Premier here because to me there's a, a gigantic drop off between him and the other producers I'm considering. So I, I can't miss out on not I mean, I'm still kicking myself for not taking Dr. Dre earlier. Uh, I think that that was a really sharp pick by you in the seventh round. Um, you you went ahead and you tagged two producers with your first seven picks. I think that that made sense um, to me more now than it did then. Um, but I, I got to take premiere here because I can't, I can't let you get all three of them. Yeah, that is exactly what I was going to do. I was going to move Riza up to that final East coast spot slot premiere. And I should have done that probably like two months ago, quite honestly, but <laughs> whatever. Uh, that's a good pick. I really like it. This guy, you, uh, I'm sure you've heard of him, James. The guy, actually, do you have a premiere song like a, uh, oh yeah, game star um, song that you're gonna choose. Well, I'm actually, I'm not gonna go with a gang star song. Um, I'm gonna go with "Kick in the Door" by Biggie. Um, you know, I was gonna say don't go with Nas because you can't take any Nas. <laughs> I'll send you yeah. a cease and desist. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, but I, you know, the picking a song for a producer is is incredibly impossible especially once a guy like dj premier um the i my uh, avatar on the rotowire slack channel is a is a still of dj premier during the the primo versus rizza um battle from like a couple months ago during quarantine one of my one of my favorite live streams of the quarantine era um and so yeah i'll go with, with kicking the door very nice well my pick here is going to be to fill this Final Dirty South spot. And, uh, you know, a lot of options for the East Coast. I'm not really sweating that final one. But this, this final South pick I'm going to fill with uh, a favorite. This is definitely Get Your Guys range. And this is one of my all-time faves. Uh, very, 
I don't think he's on a lot of people's top lists, but I gotta take BG of the Hot Boys, the original Hot Boy. Nice. Uh, by the way, Baby Gangsta, Christopher Dorsey. Hopefully, he's home soon. I'm a big BG guy. The Hot Boys, you know, Guerrilla Warfare, and that came out. I think I got it like the day after it came out. I was a huge Hot Boys guy. Um, I need a hot girl, James. You, you know that that era of the <laughs> Cash Money Records. But BG, so underrated, understated too with his style. It's very complex. Also one of the realest. It's very simple is what I meant to say. He's also one of the realest rappers out there. And I'll go with uh, Cash Money's an Army, one of his more popular songs, but also a great beat, great video if you've never seen it. Uh, Cash Money's an Army off Chopper City in the Ghetto, one of the all-time great album covers. And uh, if you haven't heard much of BG, maybe start with the Hot Boys stuff. But uh, I recommend checking out some of his solo stuff because he's got a ton of solo albums, and most of them are actually really, really good. I'm really surprised that that's your first Cash Money pick. Yeah, actually, I'm a huge B B Jizzle guy. I I look at him and I say. You know, this guy does not get the respect he deserves. Also had some really good stuff with Soldier Slim uh, late in the, well, I guess that would be, what, early 2000s. But, uh, you know, when he left Cash Money, too, BG, he had Living Legend, which was a banger. He had Life After Cash Money, The Heart of the Streets. Like, he had a whole post-Cash Money career, which was almost almost rivaled his cash money career. So he really went out and made a name for himself. I uh, left baby behind and put him on blast too. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I didn't get into cash money as much as you did. I pretty much was, um, Lil Wayne and big timers only as, as far as cash money went, but, uh, definitely respected the album covers. Yeah. Listen to guerrilla warfare. If you haven't, uh, it's actually got a solo track for each member of uh, the Hot Boys. So Wayne's got a track, which is really good. BG's track, Help, is amazing. I mentioned I'm going to go Chopper City in the Ghetto, but check out, or not Chopper City in the Ghetto, uh, Cash Money's an Army off Chopper City in the Ghetto, but check out the song Hydro, which is a good one. Uh, he also had a song with T.I. that was pretty good. I think that was off Life After Cash Money. But BG, uh, really underrated. Check out Chopper City, the original, 96. Uh, it's all on you, Volume 1 and 2. Really good stuff. But James, appreciate your time, man. We have a company meeting here in a few, so I'll let you go. Hopefully you will all join us next week on the Rotowire Prospect Podcast. <laughs>
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.